let me start this morning by leading us in just this little exercise that is designed to strengthen and perhaps test our abilities uh, to reason and form analysis. Everyone ready? That's going to be a little quiz. Okay, so question number one. How do you put a giraffe in a closet? I'll give you a few seconds to answer, then I'll bring up our answer for us. All right, the answer is open the door, put the giraffe in, and then close the door. How many of you got that right? This question determines whether you're prone to overcomplicating things or not. Second question, how do you put an elephant in a closet? Take a few seconds, you don't have to overthink it. Okay, the wrong answer is open the door, put the elephant in, and then close the door. The right answer is open the door, take the giraffe out, and then put the elephant in, and then close the door. This questions your learning curve. Third question here, getting a little tougher for us. The Lion King hosts an animal conference and all the animals attend except one. Which one? Give you a few seconds here. The elephant. The elephant's still in the closet. You see, this questions your comprehensive thinking and your ability to retain information. And then our fourth and final question. There is a river famous for being inhabited by crocodiles. You must cross it by getting into it without a boat. How are you going to survive? Give that some thought. Think a few seconds. Okay, the answer? Simply swim across. All the crocodiles are attending the animal conference. That question tests your patience. For those of you who are still with us, uh, today we're continuing our series looking back to move forward. Because in times of uncertainty and challenge, we can draw powerful lessons and encouragement from history. So for example, uh, we started this series right off by suggesting and and by saying that the, the writer of Hebrews encouraged first century Christians and all who would follow that we have a great cloud of witnesses and that we can run the race with faith and with perseverance. In this series, we're learning from four pillars of the church that lived in between 500 to 1500 AD. Now, they all, all didn't obviously live during that time span, but they, they lived at some point in that time span. And these giants of the faith guided by Scripture and the Spirit, had a profound impact on the life of the church. In this series, we're exploring the biblical framework that both grounded and guided their faith, and for that matter, should ground and guide our faith as well. Thomas Aquinas is one of those incredible giants of the faith during this period. Thomas was an Italian Dominican who lived from 1225 to 1274, just blows my mind that he was only 49 years old when he died. It is impossible to overstate his impact on Christian theology and philosophy and Western thought in general. One writer suggested that all of modern philosophy or much of modern philosophy either developed or opposed his ideas. Thomas lived during a time when all learning took place under the watchful eye of the church. However, a new emphasis on reason and the sciences threatened to undermine Christian beliefs during his time. Christians held that knowledge only came from the context of God's revelation. 
And anyone outside the faith could not possibly be correct in their reason and knowledge. Along comes Thomas, Aquinas, and he was a breath of fresh air and intellectual vigor. And he held that God is the source. God is the source of both the light of natural reason and the light of faith. And he didn't hesitate to contend for reason within the church, and he didn't hesitate to contend for faith to those who were outside the church. Let me just give you an example. To secular philosophers, Thomas would contend for the existence of God. His five proofs of the existence of God are foundational in Christian apologetics. I encourage you to Google it just to explore some of those. In matters of ethics, his elaboration on Augustine's just worth theory had and still has a profound impact on military and international policy. He took seriously the call of our Lord Jesus to love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your mind and with all your soul and with all your strength. He invited both the love of faith and science. By the way, when we talk about Thomas in this broad framework, we usually just simply say the words faith and reason, which includes logic, philosophy, ethics, and the natural sciences. But what we're going to focus on today is really more the natural science with sciences with a dash of the other thrown in there. One would hope that the tension between faith and science was limited to the medieval period, but it prevailed for centuries and sadly exists even today. On one hand, since the age of enlightenment and continuing in the postmodern era, there have been those in the field of science who have held their views in such a way that there was no room for God. And there are those even today who scoff at the idea of a creator God as superstitious and Christians as weak-minded. Then there are those who are on the other end of the spectrum who believe, just as some did during, or most did during Aquinas' day, that if it is not in the Bible, then it cannot be trusted. These folks view the scientific community with suspicion and skepticism. Both ends of the spectrum, in my personal view, are incredibly arrogant. According to the Thomistic Institute, Aquinas would contend that there are three fundamental mistakes that people make when it comes to faith and reason. So one mistake is we could label skepticism. That faith is irrational, the skeptic would say, or contrary to reason. They might say since faith cannot be proved, it is irrational. Then there is fideism. This view says, yes, faith is opposed to reason. So let's just stick with faith. All we need is the Bible and nothing else. Stop listening and worrying about what the philosophers and scientists tell you. What do they know anyway? Fide, someone with fideism would suggest. And then there's subjectivism, which I believe might be the most damaging of all, and that is this. Faith is well-meaning but it is purely subjective. It is purely personal and interior. So this person may say, hey, if you believe in God, that's good for you. But that's your truth. That's not my truth. Subjectivism runs rampant in postmodern philosophy. We need this conversation today almost more than ever. Throughout this pandemic, we have seen some scoff 
at the warnings and the counsel from the scientific and academic community. And to be sure, there have been those times throughout history when counsel from the scientific and academic community was astray. But we need to understand and to realize also, and I think we all do, that the scientific and academic community has tried to to tell the world how to slow or stop the spread of COVID-19. And some who are skeptic of the academic and scientific community during this time, we have to realize that their skepticism has turned out to be deadly. There are those who scoff at the scientific data that is behind global warming. Their skepticism is doing long-term damage to the planet and all of its inhabitants. And on the other hand, there are those in the scientific community that have led many to question or abandon their faith in the name of intellectual rigor and empirical data. So we need this conversation today. Maybe more than ever. The text that Brian read earlier is one of the weightiest texts in all of the Bible, far beyond the limits of our focus today. But let me just share with you a few of the themes that just roll out of of John chapter 1. There is this whole doctrine of Jesus. We learn about His divinity and His humanity. The pre-existence of Jesus before creation. His incarnation and His sacrifice. Jesus says, the one and only Son of God. We're introduced to the idea of our adoption into the family of God as we receive Him and as we welcome Him into our lives. John talks about the divine light of God entering the world. You'll notice John 1.1 echoes Genesis 1.1. In the beginning was the Word of God. And just as Genesis tells us that light entered the world at the very spoken Word of God and overcame physical darkness, now we have the divine light entering the world, recording the recreation of humankind, giving light in the darkness where there is no hope. Darkness cannot overcome or defeat the light. That beautiful passage that Jesus came and He was full of grace and truth. In other words, He embodied grace and truth. You can't have grace without truth. You can't have truth without grace. And when John describes Jesus as the Word of God for our purposes today, and that He was the be- in, with God in the beginning, this reminds us that Jesus was in full union with God in wisdom and in power. Nothing was created without Him. And He is the source of all light and life. Let me say that again. Nothing was created without Him. And He is the source of all light and all life. He is the ground cause and the source of all truth. And this includes the wonder of creation and science. Down to the smallest molecules of science, and it also includes matters of profound faith like the salvation of our souls. We see in the broadest theological terms that we should not try to divorce faith from reason. Well, somebody say, so what? What does this relationship between faith and science mean for us today? I mean, how does this matter in our lives today? I would like for us to consider two answers to this question, so what? Before we do, I need to tell you, I need to be honest with you, I am not a science guy like Bill Nye. 
Science and math have always been a reach for me. So bear with me. My hope is to help us make this connection and just explore this topic so that it will deepen our faith and prepare us to be on mission and help others with this conversation. So the first so what answer that I want us to just explore and and celebrate this morning is that all truth is God's truth. All truth is God's truth. John writes that Jesus was the light of all mankind. Light is a metaphor for several things in the Bible, and one of them is truth. Let me give you an example. Henry Cavendish was an agnostic 18th century English philosopher and naturalist. He discovered the composition of water as being made up of hydrogen and oxygen. He used secular scientific principles to discover a foundational truth about God's creation. The fact that water is hydrogen and oxygen is true for a Christian. It is true for an agnostic. It is true for an atheist. And it is true for God. And although the Bible was not the source of his discovery, it doesn't make it any less true. All truth is God's truth. To be certain, scientific methods and discoveries and other forms of reason have to be correctly interpreted. Let me give you another example. Scientific, scientific, scientific investigation has revealed that bats have two bones in their forearms, just like humans. Now, that's what the data reveals. Some interpret that data as evidence that both bats and humans have a common ancestor and that Darwinian evolution led to a similar forearm structure. Others interpret that as evidence that both bats and humans have a common designer who use a similar structure in both creatures. Just as Scripture and matters of faith must be subject to faithful interpretation, matters of science can also, also has to be accurately and appropriately interpreted. Let me also add, truth is not subjective. It is based on a reality outside of ourselves as we discover. As Christians, we call that reality the light of God. And we seek to be enlightened by the Holy Spirit. Even as we dig in and hear the wonders and the, 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 the just incredible detail of science, as Christians, we also whisper a prayer. And we ask God to help us interpret scientific data in light of God's activity. So ultimately, since both faith and reason come from God, they will not contradict each other. We're called to hold both in wonder and with humility. One more thing about this topic. Since all truth is God's truth, we need to learn how to integrate the two. Since all truth is God's truth, we need to learn how to faithfully integrate the two in our lives. One of our ministry mentors, Leith Anderson, once wrote, on most university campuses, the departments of religion and science aren't even in the same building, much less in conversation or compatibility. In our generation of specialization, we are often better at separation than integration. But then we graduate and we move into daily life when once academic distinctions became practical challenges. We hear our doctor describe a life-threatening diagnosis in scientific terms 
And then we rush to the hospital chapel where we pray for divine intervention. We listen to a pastor's sermon from the Bible and wonder how it fits with the latest article in Time or National Geographic or online. We are dazzled by the discoveries about tiny DNA or massive galaxies and are humbled by the simplicity of the Bible's opening line that God created the heavens and the earth. We have to learn to integrate faith and science in everyday life. So what? Since all truth is God's truth, you do not need to pit faith against reason and science. We need to learn from both. We need to learn from Scripture and from science and other areas of reason. Let me suggest another answer to that question, so what? What does this mean for our everyday life? And that is this. Faith and science both lead to the worship and the mission of God. In faith, we bow our hearts, minds, and spirits to the worship and in the worship of God. With science, we look at all that is true and we see the Creator as its source and we worship God. In a terrific article on the subject, Dorothy F. Chappelle, professor of natural and social sciences at Wheaton College writes, acquiring knowledge of the creation provides an occasion to recognize, thank, and praise the Creator God. Scientists who affirm this biblical teaching and orientation to reality that Jesus Christ created the physical, spiritual, and moral dimensions of the entire universe cherish the special role human beings possess as God's image bearers. Therefore, by faith, they enjoy exploring the natural world where they can see God's glory and respond through worship. And I would say it's just not scientists who explore the natural world and see God's glory. It's all of us as we explore the the, the wonders of creation and we just take it in. We go to that place of worship and gratitude of our God. After all, we're reminded as Genesis opens up, that God created the natural order and then said, wow, this is really good. Faith in science also is a powerful aspect of the mission of God. It not only leads us to worship God, and by the way, as we worship God, we're often compelled to mission. God never calls us to worship God without wanting to draw others into the worship of God. That's our mission right? God created the nation of Israel to be a vessel of God's, God's glory to the nations. God works in the, the life of the church as we worship God. God wants us to be a vessel of God's glory to all the nations. And faith in science is a powerful aspect of this. St. Paul wrote in the first chapter of Romans, for since the creation of the world, God's invisible qualities, His eternal power, and His divine nature been clearly seen. So we see here the witness of creation. They have been clearly seen, being understood what has, from what has been made so that people are without excuse. In other words, Paul is saying here that creation, the natural sciences, bear witness to the existence of God. Whereas the psalmist poetically writes, the heavens declare the glory of God. The skies proclaim the work. Of his hands. This is what we call general revelation. Creation and all the natural sciences can tell us that God exists and can lead us to explore more about God. 
then as we learn about Jesus, as we explore more about God, we go from knowing God, as Paul writes, that we can know about God in, in general revelation, to then knowing God through faith in Jesus Christ. This is special revelation. For some, the relationship between seeing God in creation and then discovering Christ is a very important aspect of their journey to salvation faith. Let me say that again. For some, seeing God in creation is a very important step to then coming to faith in Christ. I know for me personally, I became a Christian at a young age as a child. However, in my late teens and in, and in my early 20s, I've shared with you before, but not in detail, I had serious, serious doubts about my faith. And one of the ways these doubts began to be really intense was in the area of the supernatural, the, the miracles and the resurrection. What was critical for me during this period of intense doubt was the very witness of creation. And I finally came to this place, and I believe by the grace of God, and I'm so grateful to God, that I reasoned that if I can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, which was actually not really hard for me, that part of it, that if I can believe that God created the heavens and the earth, in other words, the witness of creation, that I can believe that this very same God wants to know me. And this very same God that created the nature and the laws of physics Right? This very same God who created the laws of physics and all of nature can interrupt those laws at will. Let me say it again. I came to that place where I said, you know what? If God can create the heavens and the earth and God can create the laws of science and nature, then God can also break through and interrupt those at will, which is what we call the supernatural. So, for example, when Jesus turned water to wine, I thought, well, okay, he's breaking through the laws of chemistry. Or when Jesus walked on the water, he's breaking through the laws of physics. Or when he raised Lazarus from the dead, he's breaking the laws of biology. The same God who created the laws of nature can interrupt those at will. After all, when Jesus calmed the storm, what did the disciples say? What did they ask? Who is this? that even the wind and the waves obey him. And notice, who is this? That can just break through and interrupt nature at will. We see faith in science as compatible to the worship, and actually critical to the worship and mission of God. One writer suggested that the two are instruments playing the same symphony in the same orchestra. But let's be sure to know that science can tell us about things, and science can even tell us how things happen to some degree, but science cannot tell us the right choices to make. That is the realm of faithful obedience to our Lord. Science can tell us to wear a mask to stop the spread of COVID, but it is our love of God and love of our neighbor that tells us to wear it to protect others even when we don't needed anymore because we've been vaccinated science can tell us that we are roasting the planet through carbon emissions but it is faith and obedience to god that tells us to take care of the planet to reduce our impact and consider the poor 
who will be who will feel the greatest impact of climate change in the future. Science tells us that it is the heart beating inside the womb. Faith tells us to protect that life. There are limits to science. It cannot lead us to choose the right way to live. That is the realm of faith in our Lord. As Christians, we move forward on mission with God in this world. And as we do, we will seek to harmonize faith and science as a majestic and a beautiful witness to our Creator, God. In so doing, we will take seriously the call, as Aquinas did, to love the Lord our God with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. You know, I've learned to start paying attention to the songs the Holy Spirit brings to my mind when I am working on a sermon. And this week, uh, the Lord brought this little little song to my mind, even though I have not heard this song or hummed this song in over 40 years. That's four decades. And it's a song that my, my youth group and the little church I grew up in in North Carolina used to sing, and I've been singing it over and over and over this week. The lyrics go, In the stars His handiwork I see. On the wind He speaks with majesty. Though He ruleth over land and sea, what is that to me? I will celebrate nativity. In other words, the Word became flesh and moved into the neighborhood. For it has its place in history. Sure He came to set His people free. What is that to me? Till by faith I met Him face to face and I felt the wonder of His grace. Then I knew He was more than just a God who didn't care that lived way out there. And now He walks beside me day by day, ever watching o'er me lest I stray, helping me to find that narrow way. What? He's everything to me. That, my friends, that, my friends, the fact that God is everything to you and me should lead us to worship Him as we see Him in all of creation, in matters of faith, matters of science, and to tell others about His incredible love for us. Amen and amen. Let's pray together. God, thank You so much for being our majestic, mighty, wonderful God. And God, we, we want to be people who see You in matters of faith, and in matters of science and reason. God, we want to be people who are on mission for You and that see the light of Your truth in all things, Lord. And so I pray, O oh God, that, that you, would, you would lead us to that place of truth, enlighten us by Your Holy Spirit, Lord, help us to test things that we hear in light of Your Holy Spirit. Help us to interpret the way that You call us to. And God, I pray above all things that we would just continue to deepen our love for You, deepen our worship for You, and expand our mission, Your mission in the world the way You call us to. We love You, God. In Jesus' name, Amen.